what about end-to-end deep learning? What about these other things? And they're like, oh, that'll never work for speech. Speech is too complicated, etc. And we're thinking, uh, I think you're wrong. Hey everyone, this is Rick, and welcome back to the Seed Startup Journey, the entrepreneurship podcast sharing the origin stories of amazing founders and their companies in under 20 minutes. Today we'll be chatting with Scott Stevenson, a dark matter physicist turned CEO. Scott is building DeepGram, a startup that's reinventing automated speech recognition using end-to-end deep learning. DeepGram is backed by Nvidia, Slack, Y Combinator, and has been named by Forbes as one of the top 50 most promising AI companies to watch for in 2021. Hey Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. I've listened to a couple of other podcasts you've been on, and you're always asked the question of how did you go from starting Dark Matter as a physicist to becoming the CEO of an automated speech recognition startup? But before you tell us that story, I'm just really curious. Like, how did you get into Dark Matter in the first place? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and、uh, like my dad worked at a paper mill. You know, like I、mm-hmm. that that was my experience in life、um, growing up and all of that, but. I I always had a a fondness for just figuring things out.、Um, I didn't know that it was called physics when I got into college.、Um, I, I just knew physics. Like, oh man, a, a PhD in physics. I just got to do it. I just like from the first semester that I was in college, it was just obvious. Once I started thinking about the more advanced courses and、uh, what's available, what are what are people studying right now, what funding is available, that type of thing. Uh, dark matter always stood out. With, it, so really, there's kind of three types of energy in the universe. There's there's not that many of them.、Uh, there's dark energy, dark matter, and regular matter. And regular matter is like five percent of the universe by by energy content, and that's the stuff that we know about.、Um, but then there's dark energy and dark matter. And、uh, dark matter we have. Some ideas about the structure of,、um, but then dark energy we almost know nothing about. <laughs> but、uh, dark matter, you actually have a hope of touching, like building an experiment that actually like touches dark matter or that type of thing. And the way that you do it is you build these deep underground dark matter experiments, and、um, it just it, it has the flair, man. It's like a, you're you're it's like you're building a secret James Bond layer or that type of thing. And so it just sounded like so much fun. Um, and it, it turns out it was it was awesome to to study、uh, dark matter and so that's what I chose、um, as my、uh, topic for for the PhD that I worked on. Yeah, I, I love the whole spirit of like exploring the unknown. Kind of,、um, have you always known like back then like you were eventually going to start a business or was that something that you never really thought of? Man, in in my small town, a lot of people's like highest ambitions were to become a manager at the paper mill or something like that, you know. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I, could, I, I don't think I could do it, you know. I just, I just don't think I can. I'd rather not participate, you know.、Um, that kind of mentality. I did I know right away? No.、Um, but did I know that like the standard route wasn't really what gets me going? Absolutely. And then also my mom, as I grew up, she、uh, started her own business, and so I saw a small business side angle. But then I went to、uh, graduate school and、um, just around a lot of other people who、uh, have really high ambitions, and、um, not all of them want to start companies,、um, but you, you meet a few that do, and then that really supercharges it. And so、uh, you, you know, there's always this advice to、um, pick your、uh, co-founders and you know people that you、yeah. build a company with wisely, and, and a lot of times. You end up finding them at college, and you know it's exactly what happened to me. And you know you're put in these 
situations where you could be doing many, many different things, but it, you know, you could be drinking with your friends, you could be doing all sorts of stuff. But if you choose to like work on these hard problems and that's what really gets you going, then, then you have, then you kind of know, like you've got the bug and the other people that you're doing it with have the bug too. And you'll probably be able to last and you have a real personal relationship as well. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more about the origin story for DGRAM? Like how'd you go from dark matter to speech? I heard it has something to do with being too bored underground. Yeah. Yeah. So when you build these experiments, you, you, uh, you, you have to first conjure up the idea that like, why would going underground, like make this experiment work? But basically you have to run away from the noise of cosmic radiation. And so the only way to do that is to use the earth as your shield. And so you find the deepest places in the world and then you go down there and build your experiment. And it, all of that stuff is very exciting early on. You know, you're, you're, you're building your, the lab, you're putting everything in there, you're getting everything working, you're doing the testing, you're um, uh, writing code to get it all working, all of that stuff. Um, but once it's all working, it's actually pretty boring because like you, you spent these two or three years for, to, to get everything going and every, every day, every week is a totally different problem. And then now it's, no, everything's working fine and it's running, you know, and you just take data. And, um, so during that time is when we started to work on other problems, like, um, building drones and um, uh, mining Bitcoin on the spare computational power and stuff like that. Um, but the thing that really got us going was, uh, man, could you make a backup copy of your life? It was that real, that was the question, you know? And it's like, well, if you could make a backup copy, how would you do it? Um, you could do it with video. You could try to like image your brain state, you know? You could do all sorts of things, but like a practical way uh, to do it would be to record audio all day, every day. It's not that invasive. It's like, you can just wear it anywhere on your body. You don't have to worry about like covering up the lens if it were a camera or something like that. We just started recording 24-7 all day every day, never turned it off, plugged it into the wall, charged it up, you know, that kind of thing. And it just dumped the data to the cloud. And um, after a few months, we ended up with, you know, hundreds, uh, more than a thousand hours of audio and just thought, okay, now what? <laughs> what do you do with it? You know, uh, you're not going to go listen to a thousand hours uh, again. Um, it, 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 and so what are you going to do? You have to create, you have to create some kind of search algorithm in order to find the interesting moments inside. And so that's what really got the gears turning uh, about like, wait a minute, is this problem already solved? Are there companies out there that have already done this? Uh, we, we researched that and we just did not see a good answer. Like I, I don't, nobody had done it really. And so um, that we contacted some scientists from those companies like uh, and asked them like, hey, uh, do you think that current speech recognition, you know, is good enough? What about end-to-end -end deep learning? What about these other things? And they're like, oh, that'll never work for speech. Speech is too complicated, et cetera. And um, we just didn't believe it. You know, we, we were using end-to-end -end deep learning in these signal processing problems in our particle physics experiments. And they're working on hundreds of channels, working very quickly, very effectively, et cetera. And we're thinking, uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> like, I think end-to-end -end deep learning is going to work very well for this. And so we started working on it. And that was about five years ago now. That's awesome. And I'm also really curious about, you know, the business side of things, because I saw that your degrees are all in physics and obviously you're very smart with the PhD. Um, but were you naturally good at, you know, being the CEO and, you know, had a good network or did you have to do something to pick up the skills that you needed? I think the jury's still out on if I'm a good CEO or not. But um, <laughs> if people 
have uh, listened to Elon Musk. Uh, you know, he was a physics major. Um, he has a lot of first principle, first principles reasoning um, that goes into the way that he runs his businesses. Deepgram is a very similar vibe. It's not just me. It's uh, it's our CTO, and we actually just have a lot of physicists at Deepgram. Um, uh, the the CEO side, I think um, it it definitely matters what type of company it is. If I were running like a, a consumer greetings card app company or something like that, I'm probably not the right choice to be doing that, you know. But Deepgram is a very deeply technical uh, company that um, you have to you have to invest a lot in research and development. You have to invest a lot in building your uh, data, uh, your data moat. And um, yeah, it's it, so I think the technical credentials there and uh, and having done it before, but in different areas uh, helps you understand how that would work in the real market as well. Um, so I think there's kind of a new breed of uh, technical CEO probably that we'll see over the next 10 or so years uh, that run AI companies really well because you need both essentially um, in order for it to be successful. Definitely. So this is something that I kind of have trouble understanding because when I want to have my audio transcribed, I would probably, you know, go to Google and search how to do that. And then the first things that come up would be, you know, Google's own AI technology or maybe IBM's Watson. So how do you compete with these giants? It's a, yeah, it's a tough game, especially when Google's selling their own and they own the search engine. You know, they could uh, they can game that system however they want. Um, but the way I like to look at it here is that um, speech is not solved, not by a long shot. And um, there are certain areas that it works really well in. Um, and there are many, many areas that it doesn't. Many languages, many accents, many uh, acoustic environments. Um, it just it, it's not a solved problem yet. Um but uh, so what that means is uh, other companies have a way to differentiate. Um, so maybe Google does a great job at addresses and things like that, and they do. Um, but if you're talking about a like two-way conversation where people are interrupting each other and talking about highly esoteric things, like maybe maybe it's a company meeting or something like that, using acronyms and all sorts of you know weird terminology, Google's model is not tuned to that type of thing. It's tuned to a general audience. It's more for like YouTube videos and you know, that kind of thing. But what Deepgram does is we have a general model just like Google does or Amazon or Microsoft or IBM. Uh, but we allow our customers to train a model that's specific to them as well. Um, and so it can learn their jargon, their acoustic environment, their accents, their, you know, even different languages. Um, in general, their, their systems are built on uh, older technology, so they're um, more expensive to run. Um, and, uh, and a lot of times also not as accurate. But um, for us, we're, everything is uh, hardware accelerated using GPUs. And uh, like NVIDIA is a big investor in Deepgram. And um, these, are, these are big differentiators. It's, it's kind of uh it's kind of funny sometimes people will say to me like uh yeah but google and amazon could outscale you no problem uh and it's like actually the unit economics don't work out for them the way that mm -hmm. the way that they do it they would have to switch to the way that deepgram does it so so yeah that's how you compete that you you have to you have to meet the companies where they really are um for some certain apps for some certain companies google and amazon is going to be good enough um but for many, many others, uh, it's not going to be, and they won't have a they won't have a handle, you know, they won't have a knob to turn to make it any better. And then that's that's when uh, that's our bread and butter. Basically, it's like okay, like that's what we do. And also, by the way, we scale a lot better. So yeah. So you mentioned Nvidia, and you also are backed by companies like Slack and Y Combinator. So those are very impressive. But I also want to 
dive deeper into your journey because I know that a lot of entrepreneurs have experienced many failures along the way. Some even thought of giving up multiple times. So Scott, have you ever thought about giving up and you know going back to studying dark matter? There, there are t- there are certainly tough times um, in starting companies, and I'll tell you uh, in particular one of the toughest was uh, just because something is is like a better technical solution to a problem doesn't mean that other companies are going to adopt it and buy it. You know they have to see the value. They have to see other people that are like their competitors using it and see social proof that it works elsewhere, etc. So you had to fi- I had to figure all of that out. Whereas like in the academic world, um, if something's better and it's obviously better, everybody's going to use it, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just not how it works in business. The biggest hurdle, I think, especially for a deeply technical company that has to do a lot of R&D up front, um, is raising a series A. When you're raising your series A, it's called the series A crunch, um, where you're essentially a seed company, but you're trying to make it look like you're a real business, <laughs> you know, and uh, beca- because because seed companies, most of them just they're not real businesses yet. But Series A investors want to know the story of how actually it's basically a real business now, and it just needs like another ten million dollars or twenty or whatever it is in order to become this this next big thing. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a really that's a really tough time because you're trying to do that on still a small amount of money with a small number of people. So you kind of have to build all of it before you have the money to do it. Um, but once you do, then things gather momentum afterward. You can start hiring an exec team. You can start, you know, growing the the, the team in general, and then you know things start to carry on um, more under their own momentum. But up until that point, um, it's it's still a lot of like founder sweat that that or or just early employee sweat, um, you know, that that makes it all happen. Um, and that's when it gets really tough, just because you're 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 looking at like wait a minute we have like six months to live here and we still haven't found a lead to our funding round you know like what are we gonna do and uh so yeah but did i ever want to quit no i had so much fun doing it and actually i've never really wanted to go back to uh science either because what i i actually look at it like in physics we were studying the fundamental laws of the universe um and, you know that's what we were doing um but in uh, in AI companies, it, it, the way that we do it, um, you're you're uh, discovering the fundamental laws of intelligence, you know, and so it's it, it's just as much fun. Um, and, and actually, in physics too, like physics had its heyday, like at least particle physics through like the '60s, '70s, and '80s. And funding ever since then has just like been plummeting. Like the percent of GDP that goes to basic research in the U.S. like just keeps dropping. Um, and so it's kind of a dire situation for a basic science research, uh, in the U S. Um, uh, so you have to really love it and you have to really like, you know, want to live like a monk in a lot of ways. Um, but if you're, if you're interested in AI, actually it's way worse to be in academia because you don't have data, you don't have money and you don't have people and you need data, money and people in order to make these discoveries. And so in a company, you actually have that you have the ability to do it. Got it. And I also wanted to touch on this because I, I recently saw that Microsoft spent, you know, close to $20 billion to acquire Nuance, which is one of your competitors. So what does that mean for DeepGram? Like, were you really excited when you heard the news? Yeah, I mean, so our the DeepGram story and other companies like us, everybody sort of felt underappreciated in a lot of ways because there's kind of three ways to, three modalities, digital modalities, and that's like images or video, and then audio, and then text. And 
uh, it generally goes images, text, audio in the importance, in the way that people think of how, how important it is. I think it's really interesting because um, audio is like something that that's what we're doing right now. The vast majority of the communication that we are having right now is coming through the audio stream. We're not text, mm -hmm. we're not typing to each other. Even the video of us looking at each other, it's not, we could shut off the video and we'd be conveying 95% of the information still. Right. right. Um, but still yet yeah, everybody undervalues it. You know, it's so weird. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and also it's a, and it's, it's an experience that like if you take a venture capitalist and put them in a car and then have that car autonomously drive around, that venture capitalist is going to say, take my money, you know, five years ago, at least that's exactly what they would say. Um, voice experiences are a little bit different. They're kind of like a, a different, a, a, you know, they're not that visceral in a lot of ways. But anyway, so Nuance is one of those companies that for a long time didn't really get it that right. Um, but they got it right enough and built a really big business, a couple billion dollar, um, you know, revenue business. But the thing that they really figured out was the healthcare side. And that's like where they, their bread and butter was. Um, and as soon as COVID hit, like, what are you going to do? Go see a doctor in person? You know, like, no, telehealth just all of a sudden went from nobody caring about it to just like the thing if you're going to visit a doctor. And um, Nuance was really well positioned for it. Microsoft was really hungry to get the business, etc. And so um, they built a product together called DAX, and it was really good. Um, and uh, Microsoft noticed that and said, like, we're going to pay a premium and we're going to go to town, and pay $20 billion for nuance. And mm -hmm. like, it was, it was done that quickly, you know, like DAX was released like six months ago, the acquisition just happened, you know, and venture capitalists see that. And now they, they, they rotate their, you know, like, wait a minute, <laughs> audio is valuable. You know, like there is a buyer, somebody like, not only is it somewhat valuable, it's the largest AI acquisition ever, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, wait a minute. There's, there's something here. And so I think what you can see, what, what we will see is something similar to what happened when Cruise got acquired. Um, so they're, they're a self-driving car company, but they got acquired for a billion dollars by GM. And then uh, venture capitalists flooded like, uh, like billions into the market for self-driving car companies. I think we'll see a similar thing for audio now that there's proof that, that these large companies are willing to buy them. It'll definitely be super exciting to see what happens next. I prepared a quick game. Uh, it's called Underrated, Overrated. First one, NFTs. Overrated, with a caveat. What, what's the caveat? The caveat is that I think that whatever's being sold now, totally overrated, okay? Mm. But the idea um, that 10 years, 20 years from now, et cetera, that there's digital property, that that's underrated. But at least right now, the current hype, overrated. So we shouldn't be spending thousands of dollars on NBA moments. <laughs> Only if you want to launder money. Yeah, <laughs> got it. And then this next one, why Combinator? Oh, underrated for sure. Cu couple reasons there, but just uh, uh, Y Combinator tells you what not to do. That's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest value adds. Um, but also they make it really easy for you to fundraise afterwards. So underrated. And there's so many more companies that are going to get put through there. And many of them are going to be successful. Underrated still. What about meditation? Ooh, I don't have much of an opinion. Um, I, I would say probably underrated somewhat. Silicon Valley. I think overall underrated. There was a lot of flight out of California because of like during COVID because of high taxes, all sorts of stuff, you know, but there is something really special to having a group of like-minded sort of cutthroat people all together. And they're not that cutthroat. It's California. They're not that cutthroat, but you know, people that are all, all together, um, like 
rowing in the same direction um, and serendipitous things happen and all of that, like in the only place in the world like that still and for a very long time is going to be Silicon Valley. And so I think, uh, I think, I think this, this couples with Y Combinator as well, just like it, there's still so much value to be created from software. Anybody who's trying to get more funding to tech and doing it in a responsible way, underrated. And so this is the last question, which is what is the best advice you've ever received? The best that I ever received for DeepGram early on, at least, was uh, I was, and this is very technical founder specific, but technical founders want to engineer everything. They want to figure it out. They want to get the secret hack. They want to like build something to solve the problem. And I was talking to one a Y Combinator partner and I was saying, uh, like, hey, we don't we have all these people that we want to talk to, but we don't know how to reach them, you know? So I was thinking of building this thing that would get them to sign up to whatever, all of that. And and he's like, Wait, what do you mean? There are other things you could do, you know? And I'm like, what would they be? And he's like, You buy leads, you know, like you you get access to a database so that you talk to the right people. They're already noted. They're already noted as like who they are and what their role is and their disposition to buy and all these things. You can build or you can buy, basically, and um, you can you can build people or you can buy people. You can and what I mean by that is like experience. Really, is like you can hire somebody young and hungry and give them a couple of years to ramp up and do that early on in the company if you're going to do that. But if it's a few years into the company, then you need to buy experience now, et cetera. And so like, I think that lesson was, was really, really important. Yeah. That's awesome. So thank you again uh, for coming on and sharing your journey, Scott. This is it for the interview and yeah, I wish you the best of luck and stay safe as well. Thank you so much. It was great being on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My main takeaways from chatting with Scott are how your expertise in other fields can actually become one of your greatest competitive advantage for your startup. How small startup companies could actually beat tech giants, as well as the intricate balance between building something on your own versus buying it. Now I'll be discussing these details in a separate episode a few days after this one is published, so make sure to be on the lookout on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. With that, let's grow our seed of innovation and creativity together and I'll see you next time.